Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. To be able to sing that song, you have to know that he is Alpha and Omega. Okay, some of y'all don't know what Alpha and Omega is. Alpha is the, the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. It's like us saying you are the A to Z. That you are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Some of us, we've accepted Christ as our beginning, but we kind of lost him in the middle. So we're not sure about the end. And so it's kind of hard for us to lift our hands and say, we give you all glory because we're still trying to figure out that messy middle but when you have confidence to know that not only is he the beginning but that he is also the end even though you might not feel it right now in the messy middle you can still stand and say we give you all the glory we worship you you are worthy to be praised. Do I got anybody who can just testify that God is in fact the Alpha and the Omega? Okay, 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 okay. Paul says it a little bit differently. In Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. What Paul is essentially saying uh, is that before the song was written, Paul was saying, listen, he is Alpha and Omega. If he started something, he's going to finish it. If he started something in your family, he's going to finish that thing. If he started something in your mind, he's going to finish that thing. That, that we don't serve a God who quits. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd get a witness in the house. We don't serve a God who quits. He doesn't throw in the towel. He's not, he's not ashamed. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't, he doesn't have to catch a second wind. He says, if I started a project, I will be faithful to finish that project if you just hang with me, if you just endure, if you just ride with me. There will be some ups and there will be some downs. It's okay. Just don't let go. Uh, stay strapped in. Keep your safety seatbelt on because when it's all said and done, you will successfully arrive at the destination that God intended for you to arrive. And I'm not even talking now about earthly destinations. I'm talking about that heavenly kingdom that was prepared for us. Okay, okay, Jesus said it a little bit differently. In John, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, guess what? I will come back. He's like, I started something I will make sure to finish that thing. So my prayer, my prayer is that you would experience the Alpha and the Omega. 
that you would know that sometimes in my journey, in my walk, in my path, it gets a little rough. And sometimes I want to abort the mission. But if I just hold on and stay steadfast and keep walking with God, that he will successfully allow me to complete that which he has started in me. And this is the beautiful thing about the work of God in your life and in my life, is that it's not up to you. Can you just, can you just turn your neighbor and remind them it's not up to you? That God is the one who started it, and God will be the one to finish it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that you are, in fact, the Alpha and that you are the Omega, that you are the beginning and the, the end, that you, when you started something, you were determined to make sure you finished that same thing. And so, Lord, we just thank you for being a God who doesn't give up and who doesn't quit. And as we go into your word right now, God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would remove distractions and anything that might be causing us worry, uh, and that you would, oh God, that you would just reassure us of your presence in this place. So we thank you. Have your way in Jesus' name. Let everyone who believes say amen. Amen, amen, amen. We say it with me, uh, Izzy, as we read this text together. Um, how are you all doing this, this, this morning? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. How's everybody else doing? How was your week? You're here? You made it? You made it. Yeah, if you're here, there's hope. If, there's here, if you're here, there's hope. Had some challenges this week, had some ups and downs. Uh, but God is good. God is good. How are my people in the balcony? Make some noise in the balcony. <laughs> God is good. Our text is John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I'm going to start with verse 26. It's a long text. We're going to read all 40 verses. Some of y'all ain't read the, week, the word all week, so we're going to... We're going get, to get it to y'all. Since you missed, you missed your, the word this week, we're going to make sure you get it. John chapter 6, verse 26. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about what? About what? About perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, verse 28, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. This is the only work God wants from you. 
Let that sink set in for a minute. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. <laughs> what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness, the scriptures say. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you have, but you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and will never, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who uh, we know his father and mother? How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, as it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, verse 47, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. And your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us this flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I will. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. 
He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Pecernium. Many of his disciples said, this is a very hard, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So they said to him, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Father, speak to us now. Your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In in this particular passage, something very interesting happens. If you read it closely, I know we rushed through it this morning, but if you take a very close look, you'll learn something that happens with this crowd that was following Jesus and that was sitting at his feet. It's almost as if you and I were also a part of that conversation, a part of that crowd. Because Jesus had just performed some miracles just prior to where we started reading. He had just fed the 5,000 with just a few fish and a few loaves. And if you're honest, we've probably heard that text before. um, And we have probably heard preachers preach that text, and we may have even shared that text with others, that Jesus fed the 5,000, that he did this great miraculous things. Uh, But I think sometimes we might miss the the true essence of the greatness of that miracle, that he literally fed 5,000. Now, we might just be 100 or so in the building and online, but can you imagine 5,000 people who are being fed with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread? Truly, it is a miracle of miracles to be able to take some fish and replicate them and take some bread and break it over and over and over again until you have fed 5,000. Imagine you taking $2 and depositing it into your bank account and then you check your Bank of America app and there's $2 million in there. That indeed would be a miracle. Do I got a witness in the house? Right. And how we would all love for that miracle or that mistake to take place. But that is essentially what was happening, where Jesus just took some very few pieces of fish and bread, and he multiplied them, and he was able to feed masses. And then after that, if you keep reading in John chapter 6, Jesus finds himself in a situation where he says, you know what, I'm going to do another miracle. And so he starts walking on water. He goes out, and he's walking on on the Sea of Galilee, and he's walking, and it is a miracle indeed, the fact that this Jesus has the ability to, to divide not just not just time and space, but he can also defy the very laws of nature, of gravity, of buoyancy, that he has this ability to even command the molecules and the atoms that are in water to, to solidify and turn into concrete for him to walk across the sea. 
It is indeed a miracle. The people wake up that next day and they're looking for Jesus and they cannot find him. So they rush across to find him on the other side of the sea. And when they come to him, they say, Jesus, where were you? We've, we've missed you. We haven't been able to find you. And Jesus starts having a conversation with this crowd of individuals. And then they say something very interesting. They say, Jesus, we want to be able to do the works that you do. The works of God, the miracles, the ability to walk on water, the ability to turn uh, a few fish and loaves into a a banquet meal to feed 5,000. We want that ability, Jesus. We want the ability to be able to speak over dead things like Lazarus and see them come to life. We want that ability, Jesus, to be able to lay hands on the sick and our loved ones who are dying and, and to be able to see new life come over them. We want that ability, Jesus. We want the ability to be able to speak life over dying relationships and to see them revive. We want the ability to be able to lay hands on our wayward children and for them to get their sanity back. Do I have a witness in the house? We want that ability, God. We want the ability to do the great works that you have been doing all along. And Jesus responds. He knows their heart. I can imagine he knows what's going on in their spirit. Jesus responds by saying, the only work God wants you to do is to believe. That's it. To believe. Now, I can imagine that they've maybe found themselves in a query, quandary. Is that the word? Quandary, right? (laughs) Because they're like, what do you mean? The only work he wants us to do is to believe when clearly the law of Moses has given us like 10 laws that we need to uphold to and, 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 and keep. And then we know in addition to that, there are a number of other mosaic laws, hundreds of them, in fact, that they have come up with that we should follow and that we should obey. What do you mean we just want, he just wants us to believe? I, I can imagine how they felt because I've experienced similar situations where it feels like you are being asked to do multiple things. Has anyone ever felt that way before? So, so let me give you an example. I know my daughter Millie can really, can really identify with this uh, because every morning when we get up Monday through Friday, it is, it is a, a hectic tornado in our house from 6.30 in the morning to about 7.45. Has anyone ever experienced something like that? Uh, any parents who are trying to get their kids out the house, for those of you whose parents are grown, just think back a few years ago when, was, uh, was your, when your kids are grown. Think back a few years ago when you were trying to get your kids out the house for school. It's Mornings are indeed hectic. There are some of those kids who, who refuse to get up. They, number one, they refuse to go to bed the night before. And then they refuse to get up that next morning. There's those types of kids. Then there's the eager ones who are, they get up and they get dressed by themselves, um, but they feel like they have to do everything they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And so we have a mixture of all of that going on in our house. Um, and so every, every Monday through Friday morning, it is a hectic time. And my wife is walking around uh, giving orders around doing this. And I'm the calm, cool, collected one in the house most of the time. Not, not most of the time, as we are trying to marshal our children into, into the car to take them to school or down the street to drop them off. And it never, it never, Rachel, it never, uh, it always happens where as I'm walking out the door with my daughter, specifically Amelia, I'll say to her, why can't you just, I say, get your shoes on, get your hair done, go brush your teeth, put your lotion on, put your sunscreen on. Why? And, and she's running frantic, and it seems like every time I find her, she's not doing what I've asked her to do. And I say to her, why is it that you just can't listen? I just, we have this conversation every morning. I say, why is it that you just can't listen? Why can't you just do what I've asked you to do? And her response is classic. Never fails. 
she says to me every morning, because you and mommy are telling me to do two different things. Mommy told me to get lotion, and then you told me to go get my shoes. But I can't go get my shoes because I'm getting lotion. And then you get mad at me because I'm not getting my shoes and I'm getting lotion. But I'm just doing what mommy told me to do. And we have this conversation, and I always tell her, do what I <laughs> tell you to do. But we're in this situation where she is frustrated because she is receiving multiple conflicting messages. And as I think about that in our own Christian walk, I can only imagine that there are times when in your growth in Christ, you may feel similar. That you are wanting to follow God and you're wanting to live righteous and holy and to do the things of God. But it feels like, okay, so, so should I stay in the relationship or should I not stay in the relationship? Should I, should I, should I give a tithe? Should I not give a tithe? Should I, should I save or should I, should I invest? Should, should, I, should I volunteer or should I do this outreach or, or should I come to church or should I watch online? You know, and, and, and all of the things that may be being asked of you are all good and all of the things that may be being asked of you are, are important, but it might feel as though you're being pulled in multiple directions. Not, not to mention your own desires, which too often often are contrary to the things of God, which are also rising up and trying to persuade you or to convince you to live the life that you formerly lived, and you're trying to deny that flesh and live and walk in, in peace and serenity. And so sometimes as Christians, it might feel as though you and I are being pulled in multiple directions. And I can only imagine that that the disciples, the crowd, when they're watching Jesus and they're saying, man, we want to do these great things. We want to do the work of God. And that for, for Christ to say, there's really only one thing I want you to do. There's only one work that God wants you to do. And that one work is believe. And I just, I felt compelled because for the last two weeks, we've been talking about I believe in this, this concept, this series, dealing with your faith in Christ and what it really means to truly believe Jesus, to live a life that is surrendered, to live a life that is totally committed to following him wherever he might lead you in. And if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about how, how it's, it's one thing to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. It's one thing to be delivered from Pharaoh, that all it takes for us is surrender. But if we're truly going to step into destiny, say destiny, destiny. if we're going to step into destiny, it requires us being willing to fight. We have to fight for the things. And, and how Numbers 13, the children of Israel saw the, 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 they went to the promised land and they saw the giants in the land and they felt as though they were too small and they could not go in. Fast forward to this week. I feel like the same message is true as we read through John 6, where Jesus is just trying to communicate to us the one thing God wants you to do is to believe. I mean, you, you've read it before, John chapter 3, verse 16. Anyone know what it says? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever, there it is. Not whosoever works, not whoever, whosoever sacrifices, not whosoever fights, but whosoever believes. Believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Believes that Jesus is real, that the Christ has come to save us. But it feels as though this concept of belief is much more complex than just simply a cognitive agreement to a concept of God. 
And we see the nuanced nature of belief when you read Hebrews in chapter 11, where the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, Sam, is talking about faith and what faith is. And he talks about how faith, verse one, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that that if you're going to follow God, that you have to have this ability to tap into things that you cannot readily see, to have hope that what is not there can be there because Christ said it will be there. Y'all with me? That, that even though my, 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 my family unit right now may be struggling, I have faith that if I surrender my family to God, that God will do his work in my life and he'll work it out. Faith to believe that even though I might not feel holy and feel righteous and feel worthy, that if I just surrender to God, that God is going to have his way and he's going to work out his perfect plan in my life. That faith is really essential. But then the author of Hebrews takes it a step further and says that, that, that faith is, 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 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God, here it is, must believe. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe. Believe what? It says to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay, so let me try to break it down like this. That when I think about belief, there's really two levels. How many levels? There's two levels of belief. Uh, level one belief simply says, I believe that, God, there, that there is a God. And most of us in here, I don't want to assume, but I would, I would assume that most of us in here have some, some form of level one belief. That we believe that there is a God. And even more specifically, some of us in here probably believe that that God manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, and that that son came and died for our sins, and that if we believe that his sacrifice was sufficient for us, that we'll be saved. That's, that's level one belief. Say level one. Level one belief. And most of us believe level one belief. We have level one belief. Some of us have a tattoo of a cross on our arm or a tattoo of Jesus' name on our wrist, which testifies that we believe in level one belief, that God is real and that he manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, to die for our sins. We're here and we, 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 that, gives us, that gives us hope and assurance to know that if I were to die tonight, God forbid, by the grace of God, the very next face I would see would be that of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Can, can, do I have a witness of all those who are on level one belief? Okay, most of us, most of us. Most of us are on level one belief. But then there's another level of belief, and I just simply call it level two. <laughs> Nothing profound. Level two belief. Level two belief is not just believing that God exists, but level two belief is believing that the promises of God are real. Okay, okay, y'all not with me yet. Level one belief says there is a God. Level two belief says God's promises are real. That God's word is alive. That I can actually, that I can actually appropriate, big word, appropriate or apply the promises of God to my life. 
Level two belief goes beyond just merely saying that God exists. But level two belief says, yeah, he exists. But not only does he exist, but what he says about me is true. Okay, so, so I think most of us who have established that we are that we are comfortable with level one belief, struggle with level two belief for one of two reasons. Either number one is because we don't fully know the promises of God, or number two, we might know the promises of God, but stuff has happened in our life in such a way which has driven us to doubt the promises of God. So while I might have a, a firm a firm foundation that God is real, level one, when I try to step up the next level to go to level two, it's a little shaky, it's a little wobbly, it's a little unstable because I'm not quite sure that God's promises for me are real. Yes, his promises were real for my grandmama. And yes, I've heard my grandfather tell stories about how God showed up. And yes, I hear my mom sing about the goodness of God, but I haven't quite yet experienced it for myself. And what I want us to understand is that if we're truly going to to grow in our walk with God, if we're really going to mature in our work with God, we have to rise to the occasion and and, and plant our feet firmly on level to belief. Okay, okay. So, so, so let's, let's just deal with this a little bit. So, so what are some of the promises? What are some of the promises that we should be applying to our lives? Oh man, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? Our God is, is present, is a present help in the time of trouble, that our God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, I, I've, been old, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaking nor his seed begging for bread, right? Uh, that, that, that when the enemy comes in like a storm, the Lord will lift up a standard against him, right? That my God shall fight his ba- these battles for me. That I don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. That my God is sufficient today, that he will take care of me right now. These are just a few of the level two promises that 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 I am not just what God will do but level two promises say that I am loved that I am enough that I don't have to prove myself that myself that my the number in my bank account isn't indicative of my value in heaven that God loves me in spite of what's happened to me or in spite of what I've done that no matter what happens, no matter how I might be failing in society standards, I am winning in Christ. Level two, level two belief says I am, that my identity is secure in Christ, that I know who my father is, I know who I am, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Level two belief is that level, that, that, that level where you say I can actually take the promises of God and I can apply them to my life. Now, now, I wanna be very clear about level two belief. That level two belief, for many of us, is easy when the sun is shining and we just got the promotion. Oh yes, God is good all the time and all the time, especially when I got that promotion, amen somebody. Level two belief is easy when our marriage is successful. We still in the honeymoon phase. 
right, when the birds are singing and the flowers are blooming and spring is in the air, that level two belief is good during then. But, but what I want to challenge, Balcony, is that level two belief isn't really level two belief during those times. That level two belief is only level two belief in the face of opposition. Okay, I lost some of y'all. So let me come get you. See, if you only believe that your God shall supply all of your needs when you get the job, that ain't level two belief. Level two belief says, I believe that my God shall supply all of my needs when I just lost the job. Level two belief is manifested when opposition and challenge and difficulty is the backdrop from which you are living. Because if everything is going well, and if everything is peachy cream, and if everything is just like a bed of roses, then, then there really is no, no impetus or no urge to truly believe. But when, when your back is against the wall and you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, and it feels as if the world is against you, all eyes on me, and I got all enemies coming towards me, that's when level two belief is activated. When you feel as though you are alone, and yet you still have the ability to appropriate. What does that mean? Apply. <laughs> Apply the promise of God to your life. That is level two. Belief. Most of us struggle because opposition is real. The opposition in our family the opposition in our, in, our, in our finances. But the question is, can you still live a life of faith when things are not going the way you planned? Can you still live a life of honor and integrity and commitment to God when things are not what you designed? We have some examples of level two belief in the Bible. In Luke chapter 18, there was a woman who was having some issues financially and people were coming for her. She had an adversary. And so she went to a judge and she said to the judge, can you please help me out? Can you avenge me of this adversary? And the judge was like, no, I don't want nothing to do with you. And he kept brushing her off and brushing her off. And yet she, stepped, she kept coming and she kept coming and she kept coming. And every time she came, it reinforced within the judge's mind that this woman is kind of crazy and that she's not going to stop coming until I give her what she wants. So let me just go ahead and give her what she wants so she can stop badgering me. And at the end of that little story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, he says, listen, that I want you all to be like this woman, that if you continue to come to me with your requests day and night and day and night, understand that I will hear and I will answer and I will avenge. But, but when I come, he says in Luke 18, but when I come, will I find people who are living a life of faith in spite of the opposition that they're experiencing in their life? Will I? find people on level two belief. Or think about the father in Mark chapter nine, the father whose son had 
challenges and seizures and was demon possessed and he brought the, the son to Jesus disciples and they could not do anything and the son was being thrown in the fire and in the water and the demon was trying to destroy the son and so he finally brought the son to Jesus and he said Jesus if you can do anything please heal my son and Jesus' response was if I can do anything well if you can believe you will know that all things are possible and the father cried out I have I, I, I believe but help my unbelief with a with a father is basically saying is I'm standing on level two but I'm not quite sure how firm this foundation is God if you can just help me out here for a moment and Jesus looked at the father he had pity on him and he cast the demon out of his son because the father said I'm going to continue to come to you until you hear me because this opposition is too great and I really have nowhere else to go level two shows up when it feels like no one else is showing up for you and you say, I ain't letting you go till you bless me. Which is interesting. Because in the text that we read today, this crowd that was following Jesus, they came to him and they said, we want to do the works. And Jesus said, great. All I want you to do is believe. And the very next thing they said was, well, show us a miracle and we'll believe. Which lets us know that this group here clearly is not on level two. This group here is, is purely operating on level one. They believe in the existence of God, but even their, 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 their belief in the existence of God is still subject to conditions, to Christ showing them some miracle. And so Christ is like, listen, I just fed the 5,000. I just walked on water. What else do you want me to do? And they're like, well, you know, our ancestor Moses, he allowed manna to come down. And Christ is like, hold on, let me, let me just correct you real quick. Like, just fall back real quick. Number one, it, it wasn't Moses. It was my daddy who did it, number one. And the, what came down wasn't bread, but it was me. Like, I was the thing that came down, and I'm really come down now. And if you eat me, you will really be filled. And they're like, what? You want us to eat you? Like, that, that makes no sense. And Jesus started to challenge their belief. And when their belief system experience friction and opposition, the text tells us that they abandoned Jesus. They said, who you are is so different than what we believe. Even though you're telling us the one thing we have to do is believe you, but who you are is so different than what we believe, I'm going to reject you and hold on to my broken beliefs. Many of us are just like that crowd. I, on many levels, am just like that crowd. Where Jesus comes in and Jesus says, Seth, I want you to believe. I want you to appropriate, apply the promises that are in the word to your life. I want you to be, to be steadfast in the face of opposition. But but when Jesus comes in, he starts to challenge my thoughts about myself. And if you're honest with you, when Jesus shows up in your life, he starts to challenge the thoughts that you have about yourself. And he says, begins, he begins to, to, to shift the foundation of which much of your life is based on. And so then, then we are forced to reconcile. Do I really believe that what God said is true? Because all of my life I've been told that I am nothing, but here Christ comes in and he's telling me that I am more than enough. I am a bag of chips and some. And yet this 
difference of opinion and these different beliefs um, conflicted. And for many of us, we abandon Jesus. Oh, we still hold on to level one. So we still believe in the existence of God. But we wrestle with whether or not God's promises are truly applicable to my life. Because it appears as though the opposition is too great. And the greatest opposition, Sabrina, that you deal with, that I deal with, Sam, that you deal with, that I deal with, Marilyn, that you deal with, that I deal with, the greatest opposition, Eleanor, that you deal with and I deal with is doubt. It's doubt. Like, I believe, but I haven't quite seen it. I'm not quite sure. Is it really real? Will he do it? Maybe that day is over and we're in a new day where he doesn't work the same way he used to work, Daniel. And so we, we doubt. We wrestle. We are uncertain. And for many of us, we fall back to level one. But there's nothing exciting about level one belief. There's nothing sexy about it. There's nothing inspiring about it. There's nothing dynamic about it. Because level one belief just says, I believe that there is a God. But I have not truly experienced that God in my life. And God, when he came, he didn't just come just so that we could believe that there is a God. He's like, no, there, yeah, I'm real, but also my desire is for you to experience me in your life. That's where the exciting part comes. When, when you can be like Daniel and be literally thrown into the lion's den because of your belief that he is real and you're able to apply the promises and say, like Job, that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Or like the three Hebrew boys who said, listen, we believe that God's activity in our life is so real that we're not going to abandon our, our faith in Christ. You can try to kill us if you please, but we're holding on and God showed up in the midst of the fire. And I believe that what God has done then is the same thing he wants to do now. The problem is that at the first glimpse of opposition, we get weak in the knees and we throw in the towel and we resign to the vices and to the, to, the, to, the, to the pacifiers that have kept us all this point. And so we, we, will, we, will, we will drink to pacify, to pacify that, that, that to reconcile that, that, that gap in our hearts. We will sex in order to pacify and to close that gap in our hearts and our minds. We will gamble and we will engage in, in all manner of things that are not healthy and conducive for, for individuals who are striving to grow in their walk with God because we still have not fully accepted the fact that God's promises for me are real. And so when I experience a disconnect, I have to numb my religious pain with something. And God is saying to us, all I want you to do is believe. Believe that my promise for you is real. What opposition do you face in your life? Your family, your finances? Much of it I know is mental. The devil, the devil doesn't attack us physically as much as he attacks us mentally. 
and emotionally. He attacks us with feelings of doubt and unbelief. I, I experienced it this last week. Many of you all know that uh, I had set my heart out to do something I've never done before and to run this marathon. Um, and I, uh, at the last minute, decided that it was in the best interest of my physical health and my mental health uh, to downgrade from 26 miles just to 13, just 13, just 13. And so I downgraded. No shame. Turn to your neighbor and say, no shame. I feel no shame about it, y'all. Right? Don't be looking at me like that. I feel no shame. Right? Michelle, stop looking at me like that. I feel no shame. So I set my heart to, to run, and I began running my, uh, around 7 a.m. Uh, these 13 miles, and I was doing good. I ran all 10 miles. And when I hit that 10th mile, my brother, I hit a wall. Have you ever hit a wall before? Yeah, I hit a wall. It was, it was a, a, a physical wall that manifested itself mentally as well, right? My legs were, my heart was good, my lungs were good, but my legs were saying, what in God's name are you doing here? <laughs> my knee was crying out for Advil. Dear Lord, please just give us some Advil right now. And the pain that was being generated from below started to rise me to the point where I said, man, I wanted to run the entire 13, but I just cannot go on. And, and when I stopped at mile 10 and started walking, my, my entire body said, there is a God. Thank you. And I walked a little bit and I ran a little bit more and I walked a little bit and I ran a little bit more and I finished, I finished the race. I, I actually, they actually gave me something here. They gave me oh, a medal. All right, look at that. I thought someone was going to say amen or clap for me or something. I don't, I, don't get, I don't get no support up in here. Listen, no shame. They gave me a, they gave me a medal for finishing. I finished, it uh, wasn't my best time, but I, I did finish. But I've learned so many lessons. I learned so many lessons from, from, from running that 13.1 that miles. Mainly that life is about endurance. That your ability to cross the finish line in any area of your life is directly proportionate to your ability to endure. And that when I read this text, what I am becoming acutely aware of is that Christ is trying to compel us to embrace a belief that endures. That if you want to experience what God has and the promises of God and the peace of God, you have to embrace a mindset. You have to embrace a belief system that says, you know what, against all odds, against all opposition, I am going to, to endure. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not turning my back on him. I, I am going to stay here in this position you, you, have to, you have to embrace this, this perspective that says, I am confident that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that I will experience what God has in store. And I'm not going to compromise my belief. I'm not going to compromise my lifestyle. But I'm going to hold on to the promise of God, that I will experience everything, that my God will supply all of my needs, that who he says he is, he in fact is. I don't care what other people are saying. I don't care how my body is physically feeling. I don't care what my heart is trying to persuade me of. I am holding firm to what thus saith 
the Lord. What you and I desperately need to survive in these days is a belief that endures. A belief that endures. I can only imagine when we get to glory, if some of us, God forbid, don't make it. And we have a conversation with the father. And he says to us, what happened? I gave you my son. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you a community of believers. What happened? God, I lost my job. You lost your job. Like, don't you know that there were people who actually were were torn apart by lions? And you turned your back on me because you lost your job? Not trying to minimize anything we go through. But I think in the grand scheme of things, the pastor last week did a, did a phenomenal job at reminding us that the present suffering we're going through is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. What are you talking about? You threw in the towel because you, your boyfriend broke up with you. Are you like, like, don't you realize that there's so much more that you was going to break up with him in three months anyway? Like, like. You threw in the towel because, of, because, because y- your friend didn't want to talk to you anymore or because someone looked at you the wrong way or someone didn't include you in something or, or you felt a little cold shoulder from someone in the church and so you decided, oh, I'm not the whole church thing, I'm, not, I'm, I'm giving up on God. Because of that, you, you're, you missed out on all eternity and all salvation and all glory because you hit a few bumps in the road. And I think what Christ is trying to say to us is, listen, listen, men, women, friends, we have to have a belief that endures. It endures loss. It endures setbacks. It endures opposition. It endures challenges. It it, it endures disappointments. It endures fears and frustrations and insecurities. It is a belief that says, if my Savior can hang on the cross for me, surely by his grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit, I can go through my own little time of trouble down here. Because we know in this life, by the John tells us, Jesus tells us, in this life, you will go through stuff. And, and for my mature folk, I would use another four-letter word that starts with S. You will go through ish. But be of good cheer. Endure. Run the race that was set before you. It was so funny. I finished my race in about two hours and, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something around there. I wasn't going very fast, my half marathon. As soon as I crossed the finish line, there was a young lady right in front of me. (laughs) She crossed the finish line. And as soon as she crossed the finish line, she jumped over to the side and just started throwing up everything she ate that last week. Like everything was coming out of her. She was literally a foot in front of me and just hurling on the side. And as I walked by her, I said to myself, but you finished. <laughs> but you finished. Yeah, you might, you might be crawling across that line. But you finished. You might be carried across that line. 
but you finished. As I was running, I saw this woman uh, who was in much better shape than I was. Uh, and she had with her a stroller, Sam. Not a single stroller, a double stroller with two kids passing me, Ricky, <laughs> passing me, <laughs> pushing her stroller with two kids, Nicholas. One of the kids had a bell and was just ringing the bell, letting people know my mama's coming through, so get up out the way. And as I saw her, I said, my Lord, Seth, here you are, uh, uh, probably physically stronger than her. I'm taller, bigger than her. Uh, you have no kids that you're pushing, and she is blowing by you. But I didn't feel any shame. Because <laughs> I said, she's running her race, and I'm running mine. And when we finish, guess what, y'all? We both get the same medal. Come on now, up in here. When you think about the race that you're running, understand that there are other people on this Christian journey just like you, some of which have endured more than you, some of which have heavier burdens than you, some of which have, they have a limp. In fact, I saw, God, God bless him, I saw a, a, a young man out there who clearly had cerebral palsy, had crutches, and was running the race. 13 miles. And I said to myself, what is my excuse? And when you think about this Christian journey, God is saying, listen, yeah, I want you to have level one belief, but I also want you to have level two belief, which says I believe in God in spite of the difficulty and in spite of the opposition. I believe that his word is true and I will not give up and I will not give in because there is someone out there who has a worse condition than you, but who is determined to press on anyway. So what really is your excuse? Oh, my father wasn't there. I feel you. My uncle took advantage of me. My heart goes out to you. My family rejected me. I'm sorry that that has happened to you, but press on, press on, press on. Do not get weary in well-doing, for if you, when you cross over, you will receive a rich reward. What you and I need is we need a faith, a belief, that endures. So what do, you, what do I want you to do this week? That as you step into this belief that endures, what it looks like is every day you're saying, I'm going to spend some time in the presence of God. The reason why many of us throw in the towel is because we're not spending time surrounding ourselves by the word of God. And, 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 and let, me just, let me just tell you that the reason this, the word is powerful is because when you read the word, you, you, you actually are reminded of other people who have gone through similar situations like you, but who have also endured. You see, 
You see, before I went down to Long Beach to run that marathon, I had doubts in my mind. Many of you all know, I shared them with you. I had doubts in my mind. But once I got down there and I saw the crowd of people that were there, and I saw all the other people of all different shapes and sizes, of ethnicities and hues, of orientations and dispositions, all running the same race. I said to myself, if they can do it, surely I can do it. But it wasn't until I got to the race that I realized I'm not running this race alone. There are other people who have gone before me that have blazed a trail, leaving breadcrumbs, showing me how to run this race and finish well. That's what reading the word does. You are reminded, wow, Daniel went through some same-ish, and David went through some same stuff, and this person went through some same stuff, and Hannah went through some stuff, and Ruth went through some stuff, and all these, Abraham, Shonuf went through some stuff. All these people have had their own burdens and trials and oppositions, and yet they still endured. And it allows you to be firmly planted on level two, where you say to yourself, I believe in spite of the opposition. I believe in spite of the challenges. I will press on in spite of the difficulty because others have pressed on. So, so, so this week, I want you to get in the word. Wake up a little bit earlier. Turn off the TV a little bit earlier. Stay up a little bit later and get in the Word. The other thing I want you to do this week, those individuals who endure, if they don't run alone, they got a brother, they got a sister, they got a friend who's running with them. Don't do this Christian journey alone. Yeah, you got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Holy Spirit who's always available, but you also got me. And you also got us. And you also have elders and one another who can help, support, and encourage and strengthen each other as we journey. Don't run this race alone. Stay together. So if you need to reach out to myself or Paul or to one of our elders or to one of your friends or family members here who you know is also running this race, reach out to them this week so that you don't get in your head and start to think that because of what you're going through, you're so different, you're so odd that you somehow you, you can't endure. No, surround yourself with other people who are also running the same race. That's why being a part of a church community is so important because you're saying to yourself, I'm not by myself. I have other brothers and sisters that I can run this race with. Now, this is the last thing I want to say as I close. That if you aren't on level two, eventually you will not be on level one. If you aren't on level two, it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but eventually you will not be on level one. Because the devil knows if he can get you to question the promises of God because of the opposition, eventually it will lead to you actually questioning the existence of God. 
Just look at the text. They went from, we want to do your works, and Christ is like, just believe, to the very next text we read, it says that they went away disappointed, and they rejected him. And Jesus' response to the disciples was, are you also going to leave me? That if, if the devil knows, if he can get you, if he can surround you, if he can bombard you with so much opposition that it gets you to yield your belief and your faith in Christ and to throw in the towel, eventually he can get you off of level one and you'll start to even question, is God even real? I don't think he's real. I haven't seen him. I haven't done this. He doesn't he speak to me. He, you know, and, and you will begin to realize that all of your religious experience has been based off of someone else's belief not your own and he will get you off and so my prayer my, my prayer my burden for us is that we in our spirit we in our soul we in our mind would be resolute and determined that I am going to endure hell, hell might be breaking loose on my home I'm gonna pray my way through this storm I'm gonna claim God's promises my way through this storm. I might be getting negative reports from the doctor, from my teacher, from, from my friends. I might feel ostracized, but I refuse to let go of the goodness of God. I am claiming his promise. I'm claiming his word. I will endure. Anybody here want to endure with me? Just raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, our hands are lifted all over this place because we recognize that this race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but this race is given to the ones who endure. And we've all have our opposition. We've all had our battles. We got battles in our homes and our marriages and our finances and our personal private lives, mentally, spiritually, physically. We are attacked on every level, but God, we are standing firm on your promise that we are not going through this alone, <laughs> but you're with us. You're leading us. You are buffering this thing for us. You are raising us above what the enemy is doing, and we are experiencing all that you desire for us. We will experience it because we believe. We believe your promises are true. So, Father, we claim your promises for our children. We claim your promises for our marriage. We claim your promises for our finances. We claim your promises for our neighbors and coworkers. We claim your promises for our mental and physical health, God. We claim your peace over our lives, that even though we are going through the midst of a storm, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. God, we are dropping our anchor in your word and it will hold us steadfast, unmovable. We will always be abounding in the work and grace of our God. Father, we are claiming your promises today. And while some of us, many of us, have suffered loss and setbacks some of us feel we are out of the race. We've been knocked down. We've given up already, God. As long as there is breath in our lungs, we have still a race to run. So we're signing back up. We're, we're enlisting again. We're, we're joining the fight, God. We will continue to press on in spite of. And when the devil tries to convince us we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, uh, we're, 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 we're not holy enough, God, may we just fall back on your word. 
The devil is a liar. The word of God is true. I will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will see everything he has in store for me. And it will be blessed. We thank you, Father. We praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, let everyone who believes say amen. And amen. Come on now, let's put our hands together.